0: Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns, discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go.
1: Make no mistake, man, these corporations, they're hiring PhDs in psychology to tell them how the brain works so that they can engineer their products to make you stay on them, you know, that's that's a fact. Our grandparents, right, they were like, oh, the TV is the death of, of America, the death of, you know, intelligence, it's the boob tube, it's the idiot box. and You know, there's a lot of truth in that, but basically people, old people like us, are saying the same thing about social media and whatnot these days. Let me play devil's advocate real quick for the nutrient in smoothie. So I guess you could argue that our food is so nutrient deficient today that in order to get the same nutrients, you need more of it.
0: This is Brad. I want to tell you about my life-changing acquisition of a personal home-use sauna. I have a 6 by 6 barrel sauna in my backyard, ready-made heat therapy, a fabulous unit from almost heaven. Check out their website. You can very affordably order your own sauna for installation in your backyard or garage and have a sauna experience the fabulous health benefits accruing from exposure to hot temperatures get that sweat going these are beautiful traditional dry barrel saunas where you splash the water on the rocks go in there and relax it's become a social centerpiece At my home, people traveling from far and wide to come check out the barrel sauna, turn the dial, or set the timer and walk in to 200 degrees in the Caribbean seas. For some reason, people like to come to the sauna more than my cold tub. Go figure. Check out almostheaven.com and their beautiful natural wood designs, and pretty soon, surprisingly affordable, you will be in the home sauna business. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Dude Spellings. Yes, his name is Dude and he's an extremely cool dude and also a absolute treasure trove of knowledge. Information, insights, commentary on all manner of ancestral living topics, athletic peak performance topics. Dude resides in the cool town of Austin, Texas, and he was there before it became cool. He was born and raised there, still lives there, is a primal health coach there. But this recording happened in Sacramento when he came out to participate in the speed golf tournament. I told you this guy was cool, he's a speed golfer. And he came out to do my tournament. We sat down and had a wonderful discussion. You can also watch it on YouTube. And oh my gosh, we cover all kinds of topics going from this to that, to sleep, to diet, to exercise, to EMF concerns, to parenting, child rearing, the... Debate between how much personal freedom kids are allowed to have and then back into deep fitness, health, biohacking, all the stuff that he's super interested in and up on the research, helping his clients out there in Austin and remotely. You're going to love this guy. It's a really interesting conversation. And oh my gosh, wait till you hear about his amazing athletic achievement and personal experimentation to the absolute limits of ketogenic endurance performance. He did a double crossing of the Grand Canyon. That's almost 50 miles where you go from the South Rim down to the bottom, up to the North Rim, back down to the bottom and back home to the South Rim. And he did it on almost no food as an experiment to see how well he could do with his keto. And then you're not going to believe what he did when he arrived at the finish line. There, he and his fellow runners were met by their crew, their support crew, and a giant stack of pizzas to celebrate this incredible achievement. You'd think that after not eating for, what was it, 13 hours or however long the trip took, he would be diving in there too. But no, he did something that I believe is going to represent a breakthrough in human peak performance and recovery in the years ahead. That's right. He fasted for 12 more hours overnight before he ate anything with incredible results. Wait till you hear his story. You're going to love this whole conversation with Dude Spellings. Uh, That's taping. The video's taping. And I'm here in Sacramento. Welcome. Thanks for coming to my town, Dude Spellings. Absolutely. Um, That's why we busted out the video camera, because we're in person now and then. The beautiful city of Austin, thanks for uh, showing me around, getting me the breakfast tacos there earlier this year. And now you're in town for for what big reason? The Sacramento Speed Golf Open. Bringing the speed golfers together from across the country for this wonderful event. But first, we have some issues to discuss. We're very warmed up right now because we just turned the mic and the camera's on, but we've been talking for a while about... Some big picture items, which is I think your your specialty, your expertise, is just having your hand in everything and seeing seeing what's going on. And one thing that occurs to me is like we're, we're living and breathing this stuff every single day. You and I, right? We're in the business. You're a coach. I've been, you know, in the in the health scene and 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 before that, an athlete forever. So my life was about health optimization and keeping up on all the latest greatest of diet, training methods, uh, getting more sleep, and then uh, surrounding us, our loved one, friends and family, and even ourselves in our own lives, there's so many challenges to doing what's right. And what's believed to be the healthiest believed to be now who knows what 10 years from now will bring. Uh, but you know, that that's kind of where I think we could, we could pick it up. Is like, geez, what, what do we do? It's almost overwhelming.
1: Definitely. So, Um, Like I discussed earlier, one of the things I've recently started was teaching a online health and wellness program, and I specifically wanted to target people that are not in this space, Mm. and it's definitely easy to get inside the bubble. It's like once you uh, have whatever awakening that you have that leads you to this lifestyle, you're everybody listens to the same podcasts and watches the same, uh, videos on YouTube and reads the same books. And it's easy to be just kind of stay in this bubble where we're all exposed to the same information, the same people and whatnot. And I've always thought because, uh, I was definitely not in that bubble, uh, that I always thought that I really like, my passion is to bring this information to people who would not otherwise be exposed to it. Um, and mostly people like I was, which is, you know, the lifetime office worker doing the right thing, holding down your office job, supporting your family. Uh, and you know, it's so easy to get caught up in, uh, trying to live the American dream and support your family that you, you lose sight of the fact that you have lost your health and that you uh, can't bend over anymore or you can't squat down anymore or your uh, eyesight is failing or, your, you know, all the myriad, multiple things that happen when you're basically a human zoo animal inside a, an office um, for 80% of the time or whatever.
0: Yeah. That's a pretty common one is the, the sacrifice required just to make a living and get on the road and commute and, and sit in a, uh, a typical office environment is a huge compromise to health. And then I think, you know, there's compelling argument that if you put the time and energy and the investment into, uh, eating healthier, getting some exercise, doing some uh, stretching and breathing in the morning before you head off to work, you know, taking this, these more chunks of time, you're going to have more energy and be more productive, but it's so difficult to, you know, kind of embrace that and put it into action because you're tired, fried and burnt out. And all you want to do when you get home is crash on the couch, watch your Netflix, hit the pint of Ben and Jerry's. And so it's like this vicious cycle
1: downward. It's the matrix. It's the matrix. Right. So no, this is how I refer to it. It's like, you are literally plugged into the matrix when you are um, stuck in this that cycle where you mindlessly uh, go to work, um, you do your job all day under artificial light and staring at a s- screen, you never see the real environment, which is sunshine and outdoors. And then you get home and because of your stressful day, what do you want to do? You want to plug in to Netflix, TV, YouTube, whatever it is, but you just want to chill. And it's it, you, it's not a conscious lifestyle, right? It's a, mm. it's a, um, a subconscious plugging in to this, um, alternate reality where, uh, even the nutritional information is, um, the, what, the, what did Morpheus say? Like the the wool pulled over your eyes so that you don't see the truth, you know?
0: Well, there's so many uh, addictive properties to the things we do, including the food reward system. I'm just listening to um, uh, Robert Lustig's new book. He's the sugar uh, crusader from Love UC San Francisco. He's got a new book called The Hacking of the American Mind. He talks about yeah. this, um, the, the, this dopamine uh, reward system that we're all wired for—it's a wonderful survival instinct, right? We have to get up and and kill an animal and eat it, so we experience that immediate immediate pleasure of uh, an indulgent meal. Uh, but today, uh, the corporate interests, especially if you want to get uh, conspiracy about it, they've they've kind of um, hacked this operation so that we are getting more and more lured into uh, the immediate pleasure hits, like the rat on the on the wheel uh, getting the cocaine and and do, do, doing it over and over again and so some of the pathways that 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 give us this immediate dopamine burst happen to be uh sugar as a big one right uh uh alcohol uh prescription drugs uh uh illegal drugs street drugs uh uh porn um uh sex uh, uh no-
1: notifications on your social media
0: social media and hyperconnectivity and so you throw that all into the mix and no one pretty much no one no one i know has escaped this entirely but if we go back a few generations and look at our lifestyle patterns we were talking about uh you know America's youth we both have uh, kids in the uh teenage to early adult age and what were we like back then i was hanging out at the beach at uc santa barbara riding my bicycle doing running doing all this this sporty outdoor activity but also sitting around and and talking with my peers for an hour and a half just talking. Maybe we're on the beach, maybe where we're walking down the street uh, to go, you know, get a meal where we'd sit and have and no interruptions, no screens, nothing, you know, uh, dive bombing the casual interaction that was more supportive of uh, happiness and contentment, which are hormones like serotonin, oxytocin. We hear about these things when we're talking about healthy love relationships where you're holding hands, walking down the beach. You're not getting a dopamine hit like you are during sexual intercourse, but you're Uh, feeling that connection and all these things that lead to rich rewarding life in the long term and if you dangle that carrot in front, it's going to have a more powerful pull than holding hands walking down the beach. So we compare that to, uh, uh the, the uh, widespread addiction to porn or to alcohol, sugar, things like that. They're going to hi- hijack, uh, sitting in your kitchen and making a, a meal, going to the farmer's market, shopping for the foods, chopping them up and making this delicious meal that the ice cream is going to win out over that. And wow, now we're, um, you know, we're, we're victims of our own physiology and the incredible skill that the corporate interests have to the social media is a great example. It's like these apps are designed to lure you in and cause you to spend more time than you originally wanted to. And these are very brilliant people behind the scenes doing the
1: assorted mechanisms that keep you, uh, basically addicted. Oh, they're, they're, these make no mistake, man, these corporations they're hiring PhDs in psychology to tell them how the brain works so that they can engineer their products to make you stay on them. You know, that's that's a fact. Um man, so much um content and just awesome information, what you just said. Yeah, I did a podcast
0: about, um there's there's something called the Center for Humane Technology. I did mm-hmm. a brief show on Get Over Yourself podcast, a breather show about the guy who started this. I forget his name, but he used to be a, a engineer of some note at Google uh, dealing with uh, oh, I've heard of that guy. development. And now he started this nonprofit. And you can go look at their website and there's all kinds of suggestions and a, a movement in the direction of, compelling these uh these big platform people to create a more reasonable user experience rather than um a great example is like facebook hey we met on the uh, on the subway and i'm gonna go add you as a friend because uh, it was nice to meet you in real life and so i go onto facebook and say uh, type this person's name in, find them, and then add them as a friend. And in the act of doing that, I'm going to get an alert of 17 friend requests. And they do that on purpose so that you can't just engage and disengage. You're sucked in. Right. Same with food. You have you can't eat just one bite of Pringles because they've dusted that with uh, addictive properties like the uh, gliadin protein in wheat. Dr. William Davis, Wheat Belly. So we're we're getting served up. Everywhere we look, with things that are truly um, short-circuiting our ability to be happy and
1: content over the long term. Totally, um, I'm, I want to go back to something you said earlier. It's on the same lines of um, Wheat Belly about Dr. Robert Lustig. Um, that guy is phenomenal, and he was really one of the first people I was exposed to uh, once I decided to start looking into the food and making a change. Uh, the probably the first video I saw of his was this video on YouTube called Sugar the Bitter Truth. And, uh, oh, it's it, a documentary, like a no, it's just, oh. it's it's him giving a presentation oh, at cool. like UC yeah. Davis or somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's jam packed with tons of facts and information and, um, you know, everything from how, uh, sugar is uh, processed in the liver very similarly to alcohol and, how fructose and uh, the fatty liver from fructose looks just like fatty liver from alcoholism, and um, he has lots of information in there about how the uh, corporate food industry is, um, you know, obfuscating what is really in their food, and how there's 56 names for sugar so that you don't know that there's sugar in the food, and it's just a it's a really really good primer for anybody who, um, wants to, um, kind of get into the, uh, bitter truth, the bitter truth. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, I like his line from, this is from the the book. Um, Hacking of the American Mind, where uh, the guy who originally invented Coca-Cola, the original formula had uh, sugar, caffeine, alcohol, and cocaine all mixed (laughs) in the formula. And the guy who invented it, I forget his name, he was a morphine addict. Oh, wow. And so he was, you know, a a guy who was trying to uh, make money to support his habit or, or, you know, create the wonderful concoction to, to get his fix in the, in the 1800s. And he sold the formula for like, you know, 500 bucks or 250 bucks because he was penniless. And he, you know, he, he died a disgrace. You go to the Coca-Cola museum. There's no mention of the guy's name, the guy who came up with the original formula and then the government kind of, um, tightened things up. So between 1886 or whatever, in 1903, when the, the final Coca-Cola product was brought to the, the world, they took out everything except <laughs> for the, um, the sugar in the cafe, and the I took out the alcohol and the cocaine due to lawmaking but wow. wow you know here we here we are today with um it's it's almost like uh uh the movie analogy was appropriate because i'm shaking my head because i have that grasp of three 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 something decades clear of technology i mean i remember dialing up some of you viewers listeners might not know what i'm talking about but you had to make the concerted effort to tie up your phone line hit the button and it would make the funny noise and yep. then you'd get connected to the internet and you could check your email and it was so great and then you'd hang up and and do whatever you're doing
1: and if you wanted to download uh one picture it would take you know like a minute and a half to download one photo
0: yeah yeah uh but it you know, And I've been writing books all this time, before and after, right? And so today, like, I can do a great job gathering research in an extremely rapid amount of time and put together concise thoughts and pull anything I need to and anything I've ever heard or thought about. I can type it into my Evernote program if I took a note about it at some point in my life or type it into Google and find it and lock in and have this great experience of putting together the best content we've ever had a chance to. But I also have my email inbox open and, and pulled over there for some reason during the day when I'm supposed to be focusing or pulled over into an article that I'm looking up. And then I got drawn into that. And so it makes for a haphazard experience. And I'm thinking about the old days when I'd like pack up and ride my bike over to the library with a bunch of papers and notes and print books or go in the library and get print books. And the experience of uh, compiling information and writing a book was so different and you know what's better what's worse maybe for me it's worse now because my brain is fried and i know we're advancing culture and society with the internet and the free communication but it's, i think it's time to pay attention to the drawbacks and do something about it with dude's course what's it called yeah. primal reboot primal reboot and you're yeah. kind of targeting like coworkers in an office environment because you work with people in, in a real setting it's not like a it's not like a health company; it's a technology operation. So you're right. dealing with real life people every day, fighting the battle,
1: huh? Yep. Yeah. Um, so I want to get to to my course in a minute, but I also want to address what you said about technology and how it's um, you know double edged sword. And I think this has always been the case. You know, if you look back at our grandparents, right? They were like, "Oh, the TV is the." death of of america the death of you know intelligence it's the boob tube it's the idiot box and you know there's a lot of truth in that but um basically people old people like us are saying the same thing about social media and whatnot these days and the truth is is that all technology throughout human history has a double-edged sword right Mm -hmm. i mean just like the rest of everything in life and you know something like uh gunpowder or dynamite right i mean alfred nobel in, invented uh dynamite and um he's obviously the creator of the nobel prize and the, the whole reason that he created the nobel prize is because um actually they uh incorrectly published an obituary about him his brother died and the newspaper Wrote an obituary about him instead of his brother, and they, they called him the merchant of death or some, (laughs) something like that. Poor guy. Yeah. He's having a conscience. He opens up the paper. Oh my. Yeah. And, and I mean, this, you know, he was fabulously wealthy because dynamite's so, um, you know, useful. And, um, and interestingly enough, um, Alfred Nobel's father uh, invented the landmine, right? So (laughs) like these, these people are, you know, they have this legacy of, it's definitely explosive a, devices well a double-edged sword right i mean oh, yeah. you know you could argue that the landmine is one of the most evil inventions ever or you could ar- argue that it has you know allowed small countries to protect themselves from invaders or you know like everything's a double-edged sword which is my point and and uh you know something as useful as dynamite yes you know millions of people died but you know there's no way you could have built the panama canal or um hoover dam unless you had these tools. And so today, uh, you know, we're kind of faced with this similar choices where we need to, um, and just like anything in life, uh, being conscious about how we use the tools is what's going to, uh, be the most beneficial for us. So in general,
0: generally speaking, what would, what would you do as a parent when, you're armed with all this information wisdom perspective and you have kids coming of age in the digital age. And I found myself, uh, fighting these battles with my kids are now adults, uh, and out of the house. Right. But, um, I realized that the excessive screen use and the presentation of unhealthy nutrient deficient, toxic foods, were two things that were, you know, breaking my heart on a daily basis. And so that I, I had to get in their face and fight this battle, but you can't really control it at a level. So if parents are listening, if you have, if you have kids ages zero to seven, start to uh, loosen your uh, uh, belt buckle a little bit, because right now you have almost total control over whatever, and then you're going to get seven to 14, then you're going to get 14 to 21. So it's interesting looking back, like, I don't know, do you have any, um, insights of what works and what doesn't work? Certainly I'm no parental expert. What works really well is lecturing for yeah, oh, long, yeah. long duration lectures. I learned as a soccer coach, we, we had multiple coaches. We had this, you know, really uh, enthusiastic team of the traveling soccer team. We wanted to take it to the next level from the recreation team. And they had tryouts and picked these kids who were really into it, you know, and then we'd have these practices where I'd see something and I'd want to address the team at the break. Right. And then so would the other coach want to address the team about something else. And then the third coach would want to, you know, put in a rah-rah at the end or whatever. And I realized, like there, if, if I had a stopwatch it would have been nice in my hand because there's like a 40 second window of attention span for a, a 13 year old youth uh, in the middle of an athletic uh, practice and that's all you got that's your chance and yeah. if you keep talking after that, you totally lose them and I, I assume it's probably the same in the household when you're trying to pick your spots there.
1: Yeah I mean I think like anything you know the, the what, what you always hear from the experts is, you know, model the behavior that you want your children to. Emulate. Okay. that's a good one. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's tall order. It's tough. Um, I mean, it you know. shouldn't, shouldn't be that
0: tough. If you're a parent, it's like, freaking do it, man. I mean, and if you're not, oh my gosh, I remember like when, when our kids were, you know, coming into the age where, you know, there's, there's marijuana on high school campuses now, surprise, surprise. And, if you're, if you're having fun at parties and, and engaging in this or that thing that you don't want your kid to do, I mean, I'm yeah. like, forget it. I mean, come on, give me a break. Yeah, definitely true. Even if they're not there, these things kind of ooze back into the, like kids are so smart and so perceptive and they can see right through someone who says, do as I say,
1: not as I do. You so, know. So let's bring this back and make it really real. Um, <laughs> so the hardest place for, for that, for me is the phone oh, right yes. so yeah. uh when our kids were young um my ex-wife wanted to get them phones as soon as they were in middle school basically and i thought that was a little bit too young but then you got the double-edged sword where oh well we can put this app on it and mm-hmm. they can track it and they'll so be safe when they walk to school we can see where they are and they can we can see if they you know took a detour on the way home from school and you know, all this stuff and you can- This com-
0: man was offering me candy yeah. on, on 37th street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um,
1: but even even just very, very practical terms, you yeah. know, um, like- Fair point. If yeah. you wanna text your child and tell them, hey, I'm going to be 30 minutes late picking you up, it's very convenient. But one thing I noticed is, is that, you know, it's really hard for me to dole out uh, advice on, you know, the social media when I'm on social media you know and <laughs> again it's it's got its pluses it's got its minuses um but one one area where i would say i might have had a modicum of success with my kids is with um some of the lifestyle stuff like diet and um circadian biology my 16 year old goes to bed early i think a lot of that is the function of her being fairly introverted and um just being in touch with how tired she is Mm. um you know teenagers tend to sleep a lot and she's instead of um deciding to sleep in super late which she does a lot but during the week when she knows she's got to get up early for school she she likes to go to bed early um and then like i mentioned to you earlier she's also you know the, of course, the teenagers, they don't like to admit that I know anything that they don't know or that I have uh, any kind of um, knowledge that might be correct. But she's she's a uh, letter guard down a couple of times and sent me text messages and said, hey, what do you think about this article on biphasic sleep or blue light or and she's got a blue light blocking app on her phone because we've talked about it and she she values her sleep. So.
0: Yeah, I also sit back and reflect that um, I think generally, like here's the age of the helicopter parents, the college admissions bribery <laughs> scandal, thinking that we can orchestrate everything. And my insight is that we probably have less influence than we think we do across the board. And there's some uh, individuality component of each each human on the planet where they're they're walking their own path. And no matter what their environment is, I mean, peer group is arguably... Uh, not arguably, but uh, some, some research says, I don't know if I agree or disagree, but that they're, they become more important than the parents from ages 10 to 17. And it's all about the peers yeah. and all that. Whether that's, let, let's say that's true, your parents still have a lot of influence, your family setting. But I think there's this X factor where um, you know the, the kid's just gonna be on a certain path because of their, maybe there's some innate things there, their genetics, their biology, and then the things that... Um, you know, they adapt to, or that, uh, cause their, their attract their interest or their passion. And it's totally random, you know, like, well,
1: I wouldn't say it's totally random only because, uh, I tend to believe in, you know, like a higher power or uh, cosmic consciousness or whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, you hear this, um, phrase that, um, people say all the time, everyone has their cross to bear. Right. And it's true. And, you know, you see kids, even, you know, when I was a kid, you know, my brother and I grew up in the same household and we have different outlooks on different topics, um, sometimes wildly different outlooks. Um, even though we had the same parenting, lived in the same household, had the same, heard the same, um, admonitions from our parents and whatnot. And I think that part of the hero's journey right is you um awake enough to realize that you have this programming from your childhood and that you took away certain things and that um, when you become an adult you get to decide if you want to keep those things or not like that's really the hero's journey right that is written about in mythology and movies like star wars and the matrix and whatnot it's like you Um, at some point you have to take ownership of, over your life and your, um, agency and decide that, you know, whatever happened in the past is in the past and you get to be the creator of your future.
0: Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home-study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low impact options, an assortment of high intensity interval training and high intensity repeat training strategies this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you, 25% off your tuition, a fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. I guess you don't have to be a nice suggestion. Well, you can stay plugged into the matrix. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Bruce Lipton, Biology of Belief, the incredible insight that I can't stop thinking about that um, science validates this idea that 95 to 99% of the time we're operating from our subconscious. And that consists of these uh, programming that, in, in many ways, flawed, flawed childhood programming from ages zero to six. That's when we're an open book, a sponge, and we absorb all these messages right. and form our view of the world. And then we just play it out with reactive behavior. Uh, subconscious and rather than the opposite would be being mindful you're into a, a contentious conversation and you get triggered and you react and you say stuff that you don't mean or that you've said for years and years in response when you feel uh, attacked or defensive and so to to kind of awaken to the the possibility that we're a victim of our flawed subconscious programming um is is pretty heavy and uh what is it they we think um uh, 30,000 thoughts a day. Um, 80% of them are identical to yesterday's thoughts and 70 to 80% of the thoughts are negative. I don't think I'm exactly right on those stats, but it's just like, we're just walking around with, um, fears, worries, anxieties, uh, a tape running in our head that was largely, uh, you know, uh, uploaded to us from uh, zero to six.
1: Yeah. So that, (sighs) that, um, dynamic that you described is kind of like what Joe Dispenza talks about in the breaking the habit of being yourself. You're familiar (laughs) familiar (laughs) with that book? That's good. Oh man. So basically the gist is like exactly what you said. You know, um you have these constant thoughts every day and those thoughts create your reality. And what you thought yesterday is uh reinforces what you're going to think today. And so if you want to break the habit of whatever cycle is happening in your life that you want to change, you got to change those thoughts. That's why speed golf is
0: so great. Totally. Because you're standing over even better than regular golf, but golf is a great sport for this too. And any sport for that matter.
1: I totally, I've often said to, uh, years ago, I drew this analogy between golf and snow skiing, Mm. because what I realized even like as a teenager is, um, what you believe about the outcome is it, it's everything about what actually ends up happening, right? So if you're standing at the top of a double black diamond run and you're looking down at these rocks and moguls and cliffs. I'm in over my head. Oh crap. Yeah. If you have, how dangerous, if you have one doubt, right? Oh, can I, will I be able to ski this? You're done. Right you have to be standing at the top, looking at what's in front of you going, I got this. And that it makes all the difference. Same with a golf shot. You know, like uh, we were saying earlier, when you come up to a shot and you're uh, you know, you're playing slow golf and you got all this time to second guess yourself and introduce doubt and all that stuff. Yeah. You're like, you know, 30% success on that shot. But in speed golf, when you come up and, It's just so quick that you don't have time Mm. to second guess. You're like, oh, I just got to hit this kind of shot. And you don't judge it. Right. You you do
0: it. Maybe that's where some of the magic is. Because for listeners unfamiliar, uh, many players when they're playing these speed golf tournaments, this crazy uh, sport where you run through the course at high speed, you only have half of your clubs and you're, you're basically rushing through a sport that's supposed to be super deliberate and technique oriented. But what happens is many of the players, if not most play as good or better, they shoot as a score that's around the same as when they're spending all day out there with their caddy and their wind and their yardage finder that it tells them exactly, you know, what, what to do with each shot. And it's almost unexplainable except for you just made a nice attempt where you're just out of your, um, you know, you're out of that uh, over analytical mind where you're subject to all the negative thoughts and beliefs that you've, that you've stored in there. And you don't give
1: yourself time to judge yourself.
0: <laughs> I wonder how that would work. Like in the, uh, in the workplace setting where you just speak whatever's on your mind. Well, and- <laughs> I, I, well, I think
1: there you, you gotta be real careful not to do, what you were talking about earlier about, um, you know, being reactive rather than responsive, right. You got, cause so much of that flawed programming is so ingrained that, that, you know, you're triggered, right. And you just say, you get defensive and say whatever, you know, whatever the, that's not true or, you know, whatever it is instead of reflecting and deciding that instead of, uh, taking the, uh, reflexive, um, response that you're, you've been programmed with that you're going to be more thoughtful about it and, and respond with something maybe that's more productive or.
0: Yeah. And make for a nicer, more respectful workplace and building that equity on your team so that everybody respects each other and their, their voice feels heard. Uh, but I'm also thinking about, uh, I think it was Ben Franklin or some other people that would make a practice of Uh, inviting their enemies or their rivals to join them in sort of uh, a cabinet-like setting or or a a trusted group of advisors. And I know some of the leading uh, business uh, legends of modern times would do the same thing. They'd bring in a contrarian and want to hear from that person. And I think if you can rise up to this level where, let's say your lifelong uh, buddies that are going to tell you the straight scoop without that filter that's so common and I guess so important in day-to-day life when you're engaging in all these different levels. And, uh, boy, I think there's a lot of value to that. I remember my, uh, uh, my former training partner Weaver—he's uh, the late Don Weaver. He was a great uh, a- amateur triathlete, trained with him for many years, and he had no filter on his mouth. A lot of people thought he was a jerk. Didn't like training with him because he was such a pop off, and he'd make arrogant comments or whatever. But if you get to know him and get through that kind of uh, uh, you know tough guy exterior, he would give you um, the straight scoop. And I remember him kind of uh, you know telling me that um, I wasn't as good as I used to be, that I was falling off. And it was the hardest thing to hear because most people are giving me kind, express, supportive comments, sure. you can do it. Oh, it sounds like you had an encouraging race where, yeah, I had a good swim, uh, but a crappy bike and a decent run. So if I can put those pieces together, and I'd tell this lie in my mind rather than seeing it for what it was, which was, I'm at the end of my career, I'm getting slower, I'm getting my ass kicked, and I'm on my way out. I had my. I've already reached my peak. But if someone else tells it to you, that has a really a, a strong impact, a stronger impact than fifty people patting you on the back and supporting you, because maybe thirty-seven of those people have a different thought that they're too afraid to say to you, or don't want to hurt your feelings. Don't want to or, hurt your yeah. feelings. And I think now you know we're both in like life transition phase from uh, you know departing from uh, long marriages. And moving on into the next phase of life. And to get through these kind of things, you require that kind of support rather than the fakey, fakey, everything's okay. And we're going to go out and talk about uh, the UT, uh, hook them horns. And if they're, are they going to win some more? Oh, that's, that's the Hawaii rainbows. (laughs) (laughs) Go Hawaii. They have a pretty good football team. There's the horns. Yeah. But I mean, you can fill up especially today, I think you can fill up your entire brain all the way up to the top, your entire day, just dealing with nonsense bullshit that doesn't really, all it
1: does is, is pass the time rather than get deep. Totally. Have you read, um, the four agreements? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, uh, what you just, Have I read it.
0: I live it every day.
1: Oh, excellent. <laughs> Well, what you, what you just, be uh, impeccable with your word. Yes. Always do your best. Don't
0: take things personally and don't make assumptions in out of, out
1: of, out of correct order. But yeah, but point is what you just said, uh, reminded me like those are two, the two flip sides of the coin are, um, be impeccable with your word, Mm. right? So like, like your friend, say what you mean, right? Mm. Tell the truth. But then the flip side, if you're the one receiving it, don't take it personally.
0: Right. So then if we just put those two in play, I love that. So if if the two people can put each of those in play back and forth, how wonderful. And then also uh, reminding the important uh, elaboration of be impeccable with your word. Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz says be impeccable with your word to yourself, too. So if I'm standing in front of a mirror with that athletic example going, uh, I think what's going on here is I'm seeing the writing on the wall. Same with people who get fired from their job oh, I'm sorry, not to make light of it, but I'm an expert at getting fired. I got fired <laughs> uh, three times in six years. I worked two years for the white man, three times in a row. And after the third one, I'm like, I don't think this is going to work out in general. I think I need to, you know, uh, I don't think I'm going to fit in. Uh, but getting fired is, uh, for most people, a traumatic experience. And they can go meet their friend at Starbucks and say, oh, yeah, if you could put me into, you know, your LinkedIn group and put out a good word for me. Oh, sure, I will. Pfft. You lazy ass, you got fired because you blank, blank, blank. But you yeah. know, um, if you got fired, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, the writing was on the wall. You were sucking or it was a bad fit. So what are you upset about? It's like, come on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I got a funny story real quick about uh taking, you know, like being impeccable with your word with yourself. So I never did an Iron Man or even a half iron man. Congratulations. But, but I did dabble in some sprint triathlons. And I don't know. Captex try. Uh I, I did that one. Yeah. Well, that's um,
0: crazy stuff out there in Austin. I announced that one year. Oh wow. There's so many I mean, how many thousands of people do that? It's one of the biggest races in the world. It's insane.
1: Yeah, I don't know. But yeah. um, the bike racks go for like three quarters of a mile. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: Okay, go ahead. Oh, I
1: never wrecked, so at least I got that going for me. But uh the what finally made me quit triathlon after I, I probably did, I don't know, maybe like 10 and, um, you know, I'm, I'm a decent runner. So I you know, I had that going for me and the bike wasn't too hard to, um, transition from running, but I was a terrible swimmer and the, I should have known it from the first triathlon that I did. So the first triathlon I did, I had this coworker and she did them and she was like, Oh yeah, you should do this. You're a runner. This would be, you'd be great. You know? So I go to this triathlon and she's in it. And at the time I was in the um, elite age group, right? The whatever, 18 to 35 or whatever. So we went first and then the 18 to 35 women went after us and they, they were going to start, you know, like seven minutes after us or whatever to give us time to get out of the water. And when I got out of the water, <laughs> the women had already, already caught up to me. Right. Uh-huh. So I should have known that about then, but fast forward to like 10 um, triathlons later, I'm talking to this guy. This one was in Albany, Oregon I was t- talking to this guy beforehand and and um uh, guy happened to have one arm right so he noticed it and I'm like wow that's pretty cool you know you can compete in these things with one arm blah blah, blah. he also beat you in the swim he also beat me in the <laughs> swim <laughs> so I'm getting out of the water and I see this guy about 50 yards in front of me and I'm like all right arm man beats me in the swim last triathlon I'm done the ratings on the wall good for him though my oh, gosh great
0: guy yeah yeah uh, well let's see we're we've we've gotten into the heavy theoretical part of the show so maybe we should um, turn the corner a little and I think what you're good at is helping people including me you're like the the encyclopedic resource for all the thing that's going on and then dive in there extract something and share the message so maybe we should give the listener viewer some uh helpful, practical tips of high impact things that they can do that maybe they might not be looking at right now. And I know we've been talking a lot about this. Um, well, we've been talking a lot about the EMF thing, the EMF scare. I'm right. kind of freaked out about it because of the lack of full understanding of the you know, potential negative impact. And then the uh, the blue light uh, really seems like it's taking off and getting widely accepted and embraced as a problem that we can do something about so easily. Mm-hmm. And if you think of something else that goes in that same list, like, um, what the estrogenic compounds in the environment is now something that's on my, on my checklist to yeah. to worry
1: about. Oof. Well, I think, you know, I've talked about this a little bit offline. Um, you know, I think the key to the whole thing is what Bruce Lipton says is like, if, if you believe it's a problem, it certainly is a problem. That
0: one's brutal,
1: huh? Let's let's
0: sit there for a second because that one slapped me in the face. He was talking to um, Luke Story, Lifestylist podcast, and he's like calling out the host who's a real health enthusiast, biohacker of of note and is up on everything and making his environment as sanitized as possible and healthy. And he said, yeah, that's your problem is you're worried about that cell tower that's a, a, a block away from your house. And oh my gosh, I'm, now I'm seeing myself and my proclivities and my peculiarities such as that desperate need to get optimum sleep every, sleep every night. And that goes back to my triathlon days because when you're an athlete, that's all you're all about is you got to deliver some workouts and you better get impeccable sleep because if you're staying up late or, or screwing around with that, then you're not all about you know, peak performance. And so I'm long since departed from the athletic circuit where I, I like to um, uh, uh, tell the audiences I, I, I was asleep for half my life when I was an athlete. I slept 10 hours a night, two hour nap every afternoon without fail. And if I missed a little bit of that nap, I would feel off on my swim workout that night and I'd complain about it. And I'd you know, just be this strict devotion to incredible sleeping habits. Okay, so now how well do I roll with the punches if I get a crappy night's sleep or I'm traveling through time zones? Probably not as well as, for example, Mia Moore, who has no complaints and will stay up late working and getting stuff done until midnight, pop up at 6 a.m. like it's nothing. And the lack of negativity, the lack of complaining or even observing that to be a problem, she says, I feel rested, I feel fine. Why should we even talk about it more? And I'm like, I guess you're dialed in because I went to sleep from ten forty five to six forty eight, and I, I feel like I need fifteen more minutes of sleep. I can't get up. Hey, man, help me out. Help me out.
1: Well, I think there's a lot to believing that yeah. uh, you know you're getting enough, or that, um, and part of that is just being in touch with your body, right? I mean, if if you are if you are in fact in touch with your body and you feel like you need more sleep, well, maybe you do. But, and then the flip side of that also is something that, um, Logan Schwartz told me when I first started getting into all this stuff, he was telling me, you know, oh yeah, you need to change your diet. You need to take cold showers. You need to, you know, all this stuff. Right. And like every day it was a new thing on the list that I, I need to be doing. And, you know, he was like, how much sleep are you getting? Right. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I only need five or six hours. I'm good. And he's like, no, 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 no. You need, you need a lot more sleep than that. And I'm like, no, I feel great. I feel fine. And he's really? like, wow. He's like, no, you think you feel great. You don't. You don't even know what great is because you oh, haven't okay. experienced it. Okay. Right. So m- maybe there's some truth to that. And and we and like we started the show with humans have a great propensity to fool ourselves if mm. you want to, but at the same time, um, yeah. I mean, I think you can. Um, I think I'll, I'll it, so in, in me a more example, particularly if you are doing something in life that you love, that energizes you, that you want and crave to stay up late to, you know, finish because it, it's your passion and you just love it. Um, maybe you're getting, you know, you're energizing yourself in a way that, um, is so helpful that maybe you don't need as much sleep. Um, By the same token, I have a lot of friends who are yogis, you know, yoga teachers, and um, they are big into meditation, right? And I know of several people that get up at four o'clock in the morning to meditate because four o'clock in the morning is supposed to coincide with the time that your pineal gland makes the most melatonin so that you can get into the most deep meditative state wow. while you have the most me- melatonin. And, um, there's actually research to show that when you are meditating in this state with high melatonin, cause you got up at four o'clock in the morning, cause you're so devoted that the rejuvenation and, um, you know, rebuilding that happens in your body is actually greater than it is when you're asleep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I started talking to one of my friends who, who's a Kundalini yoga teacher about this. And, and, you know, cause I'm, I'm coming from the same place you are. I'm like, she's telling me that she gets, you know, that she stays up till 11 o'clock at night doing all this, you know, um, family stuff and whatnot, preparing for the next day. And then she gets up at four o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you need more sleep than that. You know, I'm worried about you. You, you know, you got to get up and, and see the sunrise and you got to go to bed early. And you know, all this stuff that we teach in primal philosophy. And she's starts citing some of this research and, and I looked it up and that's the case.
0: Wow. It reminds me, I was talking to Mark Sisson the other day, he was doing about to do a podcast with Dave Asprey, uh, bulletproof, guy who's the positioning himself as the ultimate biohacker and in spending hundreds of thousands of dollars testing all the latest greatest things and inventing things and touting this one day and touting that next day and everything's driven toward uh, you know, optimizing longevity and health and peak performance, but everything's quantified and measured and there's machinery involved and a high expensive equipment and tracking, you know, we're so into in the, in the progressive health scene, the tracking of your blood values or your macronutrients. And of course your training and your workout performance, and then uh, assistance coming into it from more and more o- over time, uh, just the non-quantified self he calls himself. And everything's based on, hey, do I wake up in the morning and do I feel okay? And so if you think about back to that sleep example and wherever your beliefs lie, you know, do do you feel great or not? and what can you do about that and if you have negative energy in your life and toxic relationship dynamics and things that are interfering with your ability to get a restful restorative night's sleep or maybe wussy self-limiting beliefs are one of the things on the list that's kind of in your way of just going with the flow and and you know attacking the day for for all that you can uh, I- enjoy and experience and and be in a giving position for uh, for the planet so um, I think we can do it without the wires and the plugins and the oh, charting yeah. and the graphing, uh, but it, you know that that control tower of your own belief system and your thoughts and whether you're suffering from the disease state of FOMO, fear of missing out, or FOKU. You know what FOKU is? No. F O K U. Oh, fear of keeping up.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. FOKU too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: that stuff will destroy you on so many levels. Totally. Whether you're whether you're in a sleep chamber with a, an IV coming in with you know recovery fluid overnight, it it can override all that
1: stuff. Yeah, and you know th- brings it. This brings it back to trying to live consciously and mindfully, and you know being in touch with how you really feel and whatnot. Um, so I want to want to bring up something that I thought about um, a while back that I haven't discussed with anybody, but I think there might be something to it. So it's a scoop from dude spellings on the podcast. So, uh, we all know that the hormetic, um, adaptive response from things like, uh, the cold plunge, which you're going to do later, the cold plunge or Sauna. Even, or even the phytates and plants or uh-huh. whatever, right? A lot of these, um, um, hormetic stressors, um, provide just enough, um, stress that, it actually makes us stronger. And that's really how the human organism works, right? Is we are, if we're challenged just enough, we get stronger, right? If you're challenged too much, you get crushed. And so I had this thought about the EMFs. Um, What if the way to adapt to them in our modern life is that, you know, you cannot eliminate them, right? So you need to be able to, um withstand them and so if you are devoted to this lifestyle where you're you know like emf proofing your house you got uh lead in your uh, sheetrock to block the emfs from the self towers and you don't let people turn on their wi- their phone when they come inside and what's up liver king yeah you don't have any wi-fi in oh all that guy's
0: so dialed no cell phones no wi-fi 50 foot ethernet cables wherever you want in the house to grab one and plug in um, sleeping on the floor and then every light bulb is that beautiful orange hue that's just the calming he's, he's the boss dialed man. in
1: yeah but my thought was you know if you are if you have no exposure then maybe you're not getting a hormetic response that you need to to be able to adapt to the modern world like maybe you'd be better off you'd be more sensitive when you get on that jet right. and you're fried from from a two-hour flight right yeah so so for me, um that kind of helps me with my mm. belief that I I don't have to eliminate them entirely, right? I I just need to pay attention to how I'm feeling and do the best I can.
0: What do you think about applying that uh example of the hormetic stressor to diet with the uh the, the carnivore premise that the only reason we're we're eating plants is that, well, they were survival foods. They're not necessary for human survival now. And in fact that we're getting these um these brief stressors, but they're not brief because we're having plants all the time and having plant-based diet, thinking that's the healthiest. How do you how do you line that up? It's a pretty
1: uh, radical notion, but it's it's very compelling to think about. I I think there's something to it. And I don't think if you really ponder it i don't think it's that radical right so if you let's take the the famous marxist and primal big ass salad right i'm like love the big ass salad man i'm i i would go to whole foods and make like i would go to the uh like the chef area and say yeah i'm gonna need one of your great big metal bowls because i'm gonna make this gigantic salad it's gonna be about two and a half pounds um and i just i love it right but if you think about what our hunter-gatherers are doing, would they ever hunt and or gather two and a half pounds of lettuce and chard and olive oil, which they wouldn't even have access to, and um, radishes and broccoli? No, they, it's like they, you're never going to spend how long would it take to gather all that stuff? Like four, five, six, seven hours. Like you're never going to, it's not that many calories either. No. I mean, especially if you don't add the olive oil. Right. Um, so I, I think that we were probably never designed to eat that quantity of vegetables. And especially if you're doing something like a green smoothie Now, now, now you're making, you're basically doing the exact same thing with the vegetables that people do with fruit juice. Right. So if you're going to drink a 20 ounce glass of apple juice, like that's the equivalent of like, whatever it is, like six, seven, eight apples, right? You can't do that. You can't eat six or seven apples. You have a stomach ache. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And by the same token, you know, if you're going to make your, your 20 ounce green smoothie with kale and spinach and, you know, uh, radishes, whatever else you're going to put in there, um, you know, that the, the, to get the equivalent um, level of phytates and, and proteins that, um, like, I forget what, what, uh, the, not gluten, cause that's not in those things, but, um, uh, what's. Oh, the
0: oxalates and the, yeah, the, the, the lectins and the things that are, the, these are poisonous agents and plants right. that we ingest every day in the name of health. And in fact, what, it, what happens is it, uh, stimulates an ac- antioxidant defense mechanism. Uh, in the liver, and and then we get this antioxidant benefit from eating the broccoli or the the kale and the smoothie. But it's, you know, this is a new understanding for me to to take it backwards, because I I just didn't make that connection that we're ingesting the plant toxin and responding with an antioxidant defense and therefore strengthening our antioxidant defense systems.
1: Right. But But it's arguably unnecessary. Right, but, you know... 10,000 years ago, you're going to eat, you know, like maybe one small plant of broccoli that you Mm. find, right. Or whatever it is, you're not going to put, you know, whatever three pounds of it in a blender and blend it all up into a consumable, uh, form. That's going to give you, you know, 30 times the amount of lectins and stuff that Mm. we were never designed. You know, the lectins are there to, um, as a defense, as a, as a small poison for us, so that we don't eat the entire plant and cause it to go extinct, right? I mean, it's there to protect the plant. And now we're basically distilling those lectins and other um, antioxidants or um, proteins and stuff to uh, cause a much bigger reaction in our body than- Yeah, we're
0: soaking, sprouting, fermenting, cooking. We're doing all this crazy, elaborate preparation mechanism so that we can digest it better. Uh, but yeah, taking those few steps backward and listening to um, Paul Saladino and Sean Baker make that case, like you don't need to eat your salad, your broccoli, your your super green smoothie. And it's kind of a slap in the face because that's the, at least the one thing that we could agree upon with Rip Esselstyn, the, the plant-based uh, whole movement there. And then the primal paleo, keto, the whole other side of the equation saying that uh, animals and high fat foods are
1: okay. And, uh, now everything's, everything's called into question. I tell you one thing, one thing that I, um, realized a while back, I never really put it together until just now is, you know, before I lost all my weight and started on the primal path, listen
0: to dudes, other show, uh, primal blueprint podcast, get over yourself podcast. I think we've talked about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, but you know, I was about 50 pounds heavier and, um, (laughs) That's one, two 25-pound
0: weight fests, dude. Yeah. I have one. It kind of sucks. I hardly ever use it because none of the
1: workouts are fun. Yeah. Because I got 25-pound weight fast on. Yeah. Two of them? Yeah. And I was, and, and when I first started speed golfing, that's how much I weighed. <laughs> Um, that's like carrying 27 clubs instead of, instead of six. Yeah. Yeah. Or 50 clubs. (laughs) 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 But point is, um, you know, I've always loved big salad. Mm -hmm. Right. And so even when I was heavy, I was eating this great big salad. And I, I realized at some point, like this great big salad isn't helping me, um, get to the weight that I want. Right. Mm. and, I it, back then I thought, yeah, it's probably the amount of calories, right? Cause you know, the bigger the salad, the more olive oil you got to use to, mm-hmm. you know, cover it. Yeah. And, and so I did a calculation and found out, Oh wow. These salads that I'm making are like whatever they were, I can't remember, but 1500 calories, like a lot of, of calories. And so I started scaling back the size of my salad to um, help with, with the weight, but maybe part of, the issue was the inflammation that i was getting from the the phytates and the lectins I, you know who knows
0: i'm so excited to introduce you to peluva this is a new Please visit peluva.com. That's P E L U V A. And use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet. Uh, the inflammation causing some disturbance with healthy fat metabolism. And we know that to be the case. So, inflammation coming from wherever. And if the hormetic stressors are beyond that healthy, balance point and increasing too much. And I've never really heard anyone present it just the way you did. I think that was interesting that it's the quantity that could be causing the big problem, such as the uh, the, the nutrient dense smoothie as demonstrated by Rhonda Patrick with a million videos on YouTube where she's jamming this stuff into the blender. And I never realized you could blend everything up and then jam more stuff in. I yeah. was like, I'm not as smart as her. And I'm like, wow, you know, she stuffed <laughs> the entire giant blender full of raw kale and then blended it up, and now it's down. And now you can put a whole bunch of raw chard in there and a tomato and an apple and a carrot. Yeah. Oh, I see, you blend it in sections, and then you're drinking this incredible uh, uh density of plant matter, which ancestrally makes sense. We've never had that. In contrast, I'm thinking if we were out there hunting for four days and we came across the woolly mammoth, Sean Baker's famous quote, he goes, look, you take down a, a prehistoric woolly mammoth, that's 3 million calories. So an average hunter-gatherer band of, let's say, 30 people, they're feasting for months and months on end without having to go pick a single berry. Right. And it was sort of a pop-off comment from the big guy who's got big muscles and eats steak all day. But it's like, wait a second. It's- There's a very, very bright and well-researched and studied guy. And that message that these are obligatory foods or survival foods is a a huge wake-up call for me because I'm trying to be uh, open-minded, critical thinking and thinking, wow. So we're dosing ourselves with these massive uh, ingestion of plants. Tough to reconcile ancestrally. However, I didn't even finish my sentence. Like, well, you go and kill the mammoth or if you were to find uh, a nest of eggs and you're hungry, you're going to eat. Eight of those, or whatever, until you're until you're passed out on the ground, because it's a matter of life or death. So right. we know that we've gorged on animal foods to the extreme, especially um, heading into winter hibernation time. That that's why we're so good at storing body fat is because we need that storage mechanism.
1: Yeah. So let so let's uh, let me play devil's advocate real quick for with the the um, nutrient dense smoothie. So I guess you could argue that. Our food is so nutrient deficient today that in order to get the same nutrients, you need more of it. Right. So, you got to keep I mean,
0: slamming everything. And also the, the gut microbiome comes in here where we're supposed to eat this varied and diverse plant matter diet so you can get... And the, the green foods help with uh, the red, red foods help with prostate cancer and the, the, the orange and yellow foods help with uh, ocular health and everything's all in these categories. And we see headline stories in the, the newspaper how we got to go find all this stuff to eat and um, potentially because we're choosing all these crazy foods all over the place. We need a really diverse gut microbiome to process that stuff. But yep. what about if you were hardcore nose to tail carnivore again, just for argument's sake, um, Brian McAndrew, our, our filmmaker audio engineer, really a, a great enthusiast of, of, keto and carnivore. We have a cookbook coming out, keto cooking for cool dudes and carnivore cooking for cool dudes with great recipes for dudes that want to get into this. Nice. Uh, he said, you know, uh, the desert, is a thriving microbiome as well. It's got far fewer plants and animals than the rainforest, but it's just as healthy because the cactus are living and the boll weevils and the animals underground. And so what if you didn't need this crazy diverse microbiome that you constantly had to nurture with four different kinds of probiotics and all this different plant matter, because you were eating only the most nutrient dense foods on earth that have you know, created healing stories and uh, turnarounds from people suffering from chronic inflammatory
1: and autoimmune conditions. I, I love the analogy of the desert versus the rainforest, and, and I'm going to use it to in the next direction of of eating locally right so oh nice so yeah. what was really happening with our ancestors is that no matter where they were right they were eating locally so if you're an inuit you're saying
0: are you sure about that <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there was
1: no amazon prime uh so if you're an inuit you know you're you're eating lots of whatever reindeer and uh seal and um you know, the it, uh, stomach
0: lining of the whale uh, provided a huge uh, dose of vitamin C because people were concerned about the Inuits not getting enough vitamin C. I just heard uh, Master John say that. So that you know, the that one of the knocks against the nose to tail carnivore strategy is you're maybe deficient on some of
1: these these vitamins. But oh, have you heard? They found a way
0: to get it. Have Have you
1: heard Finney um, explain um, the story of uh, I forget his first name, but Stephenson in the Oh, uh, the Arctic my, Explorer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, I'll give you a, a link you can put in the show notes, but, uh, so this guy, uh, Stephenson, um, wanted to go look for the British expedition that was, uh, trying to find the Northwest passage and ended up, uh, you know, basically everyone dying up in the, um, Canadian, um, um, archipelago or whatever up there. And, you know, dozens of people had gone to go look for him before. I don't know about dozens, but several people had gone to look for this expedition beforehand. And their approach was that, well, you know, it's the Arctic. We got to, you're going to have to carry all of our provisions with us, you know? And so you're going to have these giant sleds of, you know, like two tons of food so that we can spend a month out there looking, right? And so Stefan comes along and is like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You just need to hire an Inuit to teach you how to hunt up there. Nice. And so he goes up there to the Inuit and he, um, and he goes, um, eats like the Inuit eat and he's able to stay up there for like three months. Right. And, or maybe even more, but he got back and, and, and he did, he ended up did finding, um, you know, the, the wreckage and the, the last camp of the people that were missing but he gets back and everybody was like, the, they, no, we don't believe you because you can't stay out there that long without, um, limes and, you know, this other things that would prevent scurvy. Limes, right? Yeah. That's what we the, the pirates were limeys, right? Because yeah. they, they ate limes on the ships crossing the Atlantic to keep them from getting scurvy. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. I, I just ate like the Inuit eat and you get all the nutrition you need. Right. And Finney's big line, um, when explaining with this is that he was writing his dissertation about fat adaptation, like in 1969 or whatever, and thought he had discovered this, this big uh, thing about fat adaptation and the um, low carb flu You know like you feel bad for a couple weeks until you get become fat adapted this guy Stephenson writes about it in like 1890 like yeah if you eat like the inuit you've you feel terrible for two weeks but then that soon passes and you have all the energy you need
0: just busting out ketones looking for yeah for the
1: forgotten ship but the really cool thing is that uh, nobody believed him when he got back and so they put him in bellevue hospital in new york and issued a challenge or i guess he told them he's like well i'll do you know you can uh, lock me up and monitor what i eat so i can prove it to you right so they locked him in bellevue hospital for a year a year and he only ate uh the animal products that he asked for right which was nose to tail He's eating wow. organ meats and you know everything. Just getting
0: Ma- it flown in from Amazon Prime from the Arctic. I don't know how they were getting it, but <laughs> but he asked, if, right, just making sending on a, a shopping
1: list, go out, go down New York City and find some sardines for me or whatever. Well, it, in the turn of the nineteenth to twentieth century, there probably everyone knew how to hunt, right? So it's wow. probably not hard to get elk meat or whatever. Yeah. Um, but pr- point is, they were doing all the measurements of things that they could measure at that time. And um, he never got scurvy or any of the other uh, diseases that they predicted. And, and they wrote down exactly what he ate. And it was, you know, um, lots and lots of, of animal meat and organ meat and bone broth. That
0: is cool. That's like Dr. Cahill's experiments at Harvard, which is some of the still the best reference research. Uh, for the ketogenic diet from back in the '60s, because he basically starved these people for I think it was 40 days and tracked their glucose, insulin, and ketone levels. And like, you can't do that today because uh, you know no one no one would comply. But um, you go back go back into the annals and find this great research
1: about what's possible. Is is he the guy that um uh you know got these people in ketosis and starved them to the point uh well and gave them uh Blood glucose lowering uh, meds while they're in ketosis. Have you heard about this? Uh, I'm not sure if that was the same guy, but I ra- I ran across this. I can't remember what video it was. I'll have to look it up and get, send it to you. But um, they they wanted, to, and of course, just like the experiment that you mentioned, you couldn't do this today. This was you know back in the 50s or 60s before. It oh, had... probably was then. It is Dr. George Cahill at Harvard. Yeah. Um, but they they gave these. They put people on a ketogenic diet. And then they gave them medicine to lower their blood sugar to thirty, to see how low they could get it before it started inducing, uh, you know, cognitive effects, is what they thought. And the podcast I was listening to that mentioned this was pointing out like you don't need blood, uh, glucose um, mm-hmm. for the brain like we think because they did this experiment and people's blood sugar was thirty and they were still cognitively aware and everything because they had enough ketones to... um... Yeah, my understanding
0: is the the average person walking around is virtually 100% of the brain's energy is coming from glucose, maybe some small percentages first thing in the morning from ketones. Now it's known that lactate is burned by the brain, but it can't burn fat. So you're basically entirely reliant on glucose, and that's why your blood sugar fluctuations are so uh, sensitive in the brain and you, you conk out so easily if you miss a single meal, if you're a carb dependent. And then, uh, I understand that a really hardcore ketogenic eater can transition all the way over to a maximum adaptation of like two thirds ketones and one third glucose. And,
1: And all the glucose can be provided by gluconeogenesis. Right.
0: So like the brain burns about 150 grams of well, of glucose per day, glucose and or ketones. So if you get two thirds keto adapted, you're left with um, only 50 grams a day that you need in uh, a carbohydrate and even a strict ketogenic eater is probably going to have trickling in somewhere sure. around 50 grams a day, uh, maybe 20 or 30. And then of course you can make up that and, and then some with gluconeogenesis. So that's like, the, they
1: proved in the faster study where right. the day after these yeah, guys, they went, were, they three were hours. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Right. So, summarize that quickly. So, um, uh, um, Dr. Volok did a, a study of, uh, six, Keto adapted ultra runners and six carb dependent ultra runners. And one of the things that they found was that uh, the day after they did a three hour run on the treadmill, the uh, ketogenic athletes who were not eating carbs had perfectly replenished glycogen the next day.
0: It's a three hour depleting run yeah. to where most everybody in the endurance scene for the past 60 years, Right. Would need to go over to Jamba Juice really quickly, or oh, sometime well time in the next few hours. Yeah. You're depleted. You do a three hour run. You're going to be depleted, who, almost whoever you are. Yeah. And they just sent them home, and they came back with full glycogen stores. Yeah. And
1: yeah. and you know this was the dogma that I heard, and I'm sure you heard too. Is like, you know, oh well, after your run, even a workout, right? If you did a two hour workout, you have to go eat pasta and. Uh, sweet potatoes and you know all this carb-heavy stuff to replenish your glycogen so that you can get up the next day and be ready to hammer it again.
0: Yeah, we called it the window of opportunity. Oh I yeah, mean, I used to sell the nutritional golden supplements. Yeah, and that was uh, in the in the hour following the workout. That's when your uh, your muscles are most uh, receptive to glycogen reloading, and then it kind of shuts off. Arguably maybe the stress response is kicking in. If you're carb dependent, you don't get food. So it's not super healthy. And those of you listening who, this, this is your first podcast you've ever listened to in this sort of topic. And then you're going to go start fasting and, and doing workouts and not eating after <laughs> like dude spellings after he climbed out of the Grand Canyon. Um, you're probably going to go right over into... Uh, fight or flight and start making glucose from lean muscle tissue or whatever, and have a, a net adverse impact because you're increasing the stress impact of the workout because you're not fat adapted.
1: Yeah. This is where all of the studies that say that, uh, glucose or carbs are the best fuel. This is the mistake that they make, right? Is they grab people off the street who, mm. like you were saying, can't go a couple hours without refilling on carbs. And, um, they do this you know study to test what fuel is better and the the study lasts for a week and you know the we know now like what i just said with Stephenson. you know oh it takes two or three weeks to overcome this feel this feeling of uh lethargy um yeah if you do the tests the study under those conditions yes the people who are dependent on carbs because they can't burn fat are going to perform poorly in your study
0: right And all the exercise physiology studies where they take these subjects that uh, are untrained or maybe moderately fit, a lot of times they're college students because those dudes are always up for a study, and then they slam them with six weeks of high-intensity training, they're going to get more fit than someone who's uh, jogging and doing low-intensity stuff. Because it's a short-term observation and so we've been told that these exhaustive workouts that form the foundation of many fitness programs that are super popular today like spinning i worked for two years for the company that uh, delivered spinning to the world the johnny g the first indoor exercise program and we were trying to convince people to slow down and just go to class and enjoy the music and do some breathing and have a low stress workout because the, the fitness scene wants loud music, kick-ass, super motivated, intense instructors getting you to push it hard and sprint to the finish like you're in the Tour de France, and then come back and do it again the next day and the next day, and you're going to get fitter for a short period of time. It's like throwing the spaghetti on the fridge, and anything that sticks is going to help, and then you're going to you know destroy yourself predictably Long-term. if your exercise program is too stressful, yeah. but a study can be uh, organized by well-meaning highly trained scientists uh, to deliver a result that doesn't uh, apply well when you put it in the context of real life.
1: Yeah, another thing to consider too with a study like that where it's college students is, you know, now that you and I are a little older, you can appreciate. Anything like, like... works for a college student, <laughs> If That's you're twi- right. If you're 20, doesn't matter what workout you do, it's gonna, you're gonna get results. Yeah. Have you heard of this uh, Carol Fit
0: bike? C A R O L. Um, it's called for cardiovascular optimized logic, and it's a a smart exercise bicycle uh, powered by artificial intelligence, and it learns your fitness level and applies this amount of resistance to get you to sprint at just the right amount to get this uh, uh, maximum intensity workout in a short time. So they're they're touting this eight minute workout. Oh wow! Where you warm up a few minutes, you sprint all out for 20 seconds you recover a little bit, you do another sprint for 20 seconds, cool down and you're done. And this type of protocol uh, has shown with a lot of great respected research for years and years, some of it's old, that you can get in shape really quickly without that downside risk of those exhaustive prolonged workouts because you're delivering that maximum intensity effort, which has such a profound impact on metabolism for hours and hours afterward. You're basically turbocharging fat burning, you're getting the adaptive hormones into the bloodstream. And then because you're only doing two sprints and the workout's not that long, you get off and go about your day and you're not in that exhausted, fatigue, depleted state. That's such a common problem for
1: the average fitness enthusiast. Yeah. And if you think about it, um, that fitness profile kind of fits what our ancestors would have been would have been doing with hunting, right? They're not, you know, they're either going to be tracking an animal over many hours. Walking around. Walking, moving,
0: moving, moving at a comfortable pace. Because, yeah.
1: because they're smart enough to know that they can't outrun a gazelle, mm-hmm. right? So the only, you have to do, what is that type of hunting called? Uh, persistence hunting. Persistence yeah. hunting, yeah. yeah. They get use their brain, basically. Yeah. Or um, you're going to be hunting something like a... Um, pheasant Uh, rocky
0: was hunting the chicken right
1: yeah where you're going to be sprinting for 20 seconds to catch it
0: uh and that's it
1: yeah he finally caught the chicken yeah 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 that's a that's a a good uh homage to Primal training, right there, right there, man. The 1980 Rocky movie.
0: Yeah, best picture, 1976. Rocky won. Yeah, the raw eggs, which has now come back in vogue, as long as they're from pasture raised local farms. Right. I don't know where Rock was getting his eggs, but maybe the eggs were more nutritious in 76, arguably. Maybe he's getting them from from the chickens he was was. chasing. Yeah, exactly. Forcing them to lay an egg. Oh, dude, we got into a lot of great stuff. Yeah, Yeah, Um, definitely. We'll do another show about the blue light and getting deep into that. And I've I've connected with some interesting uh, interview subjects, people that are touting the, um, you know, the EMF and the blue light and getting yourself uh, protected from technology. But that one liner, probably the most important thing to say about it, is do the best
1: you can. Don't worry about it too much. Yeah. So. When we come back, and we want to talk about this on another podcast, um, I can get into uh, what I hear uh, Jack Cruz has done at his uh, longevity farm, which you know he's obsessed with uh, eliminating the, the non-native EMF. And uh, I have—I know somebody that went down there and uh, you know took note of exactly what he did to in his little compound down there to mitigate the EMF.
0: Wow! But there's trend centers out there and then for the rest of us to live in busy ordinary life why don't you give me like a um, a top 5 of life changing health habits that are doable and easy to to throw down right away after listening to the show
1: all right uh no no processed or packaged food <sighs> that's super easy uh well i say it's super easy but
0: it's a simp- it's, simple simple not easy it's a direct suggestion right yeah, yeah. there's no nuance there yeah yeah um, that includes a lot of the crap at Whole Foods Market. Sorry. I know you're an Austin local, but, and they've done a great thing and they have a lot of good stuff, but they go to their, uh, the hot bar and there's canola oil and two thirds of the stuff. At least two thirds. Yeah. I, I don't feel like you have a lot of pull in Austin anymore. No. What is this? <laughs> you, you grew up there. You saw everything come in the the skyscrapers and all that. Uh, but, but do you know why, um, there's a good segment of, uh, diet nutrition experts food manufacturers that think canola oil is still okay when you have other people Dr. Kate Shanahan comes to mind and many other experts saying that these oxidized industrial oils are probably the worst
1: thing you can consume on the planet well i think the the gist of it is that it's a uh, polyunsaturated fat as opposed to a saturated fat and there's so many people out there still demonizing saturated fat but I did want to note that John Mackey, the founder and CEO of, of Whole Foods, has a book called The Whole Foods Diet. And in his book, it says to avoid canola oil. Yeah, and I actually...
0: Um, John, if you're watching the show... Get um, with it, buddy. We love you, man. If, he's overall net positive for the planet 100%. by launching that market and getting it all over,
1: uh, all over America. But
0: come come straight, brother.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 as far as I can tell, you know, it's it's about cost because it probably is so much cheaper.
0: I understand that's true in the restaurants, and I've I've you know been at the finer restaurants and saying, "Is this olive oil that you're bringing me?" Oh, it's a blend. Let me go back and ask, and they come back, "It's a blend of olive and canola." What the heck? I mean, the olive oil is cheap enough at Costco. So
1: here, here's 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 another tip. We're, we're we're getting derailed from our top five. Right. So <laughs> no no processed foods. Number one. Yeah, uh, and on that note if you're trying to avoid canola, you really have to go deep um, with your efforts here. Mm. So on, like you were saying, you know, you go to a fine restaurant and they are serving a olive oil canola blend. You know, I asked, I went to a restaurant one time and asked for o- olive oil and vinegar to, for my salad. And they bring me the little, you know, thing with the, the glass containers and the oil is like as yellow as these microphones. And I'm like, uh, that's not olive oil. And they're like, Oh no, no, it says on the package, it's olive oil. And I'm like, okay, bring me the package, please. And so they go bring out this jug, you know, like a two-gallon jug, industrial size, and it says olive oil blend. Oh, mercy. Right, and so then you look at the back and where it has the ingredients, and it's like olive oil, canola oil, and I tell them, this is not olive oil. Right? I mean, how can you even fault them? I
0: mean, there's a busy, hardworking food 100%. orderer, person, waitress, and they're, they're messing with you right on the label.
1: Yeah, and they yeah, and they go and they probably go back to the um, stock shelf and they look and it says olive oil done good. Right? I, I consumed
0: Paul Newman's red wine and olive oil dressing for years and years. My favorite,
1: and it has canola.
0: Yeah, and it's on the back. Not even it says uh, there's there's olive oil in it, but there's also it says. Um, Uh, and or and or and i'm like what could the and or mean except that they're going to the commodity brokers like on trading places and buying whatever's on special literally Mm -hmm. they're just buying whatever shit they can get for that production run where they're going to write and or on the label yep
1: yeah all right so back to our top five so number one avoid processed foods number two uh go to bed early enough to get restful sleep and along with that, I would say, uh, adjust your environment to, to help you get restful sleep. Right. So make your bedroom dark, get the electronics out of your bedroom, keep your house cool. Um,
0: Oh man, my chili pad. I just got it. I got to put a plug in. It's incredible. Really? Yeah. If you've had, never heard of chili pad, look it up and it's a, a thing you apply right to your mattress. You put the sheet over it, uh, but cold water runs through And you can actually program uh, both sides of the bed. So you and your partner, if you sleep at a different temperature, which is so common, you can program when it'll start to cool off. So you want to get into a cold bed because lower body temperature facilitates good sleep. And then in the morning, you can program the temperature to rise so you get your butt out of bed. Oh, nice. It's pretty interesting. That is cool.
1: Yeah. Um, So real quick. So you had to go to sleep at a good time. Well, real real quick uh, counter opinion there. So... It's a plug-in device. Oh no, no. Uh, so the reason that the, that, or the marketing behind the, the chili pad is that your body temperature should be lower when you're going to sleep. And I would say if you're, that that should happen naturally. Right. And if your body temperature isn't, if you need this artificial device to make your body temperature lower, maybe you might want to look at thyroid function or something that um, why isn't your body temperature going lower yeah. on its own? Have you been or,
0: blasting your eyeballs with too much artificial light so that you still think it's daytime or that? You know, yeah.
1: yeah. So um, all of that for the sleep. And then I would say number three, um, get sun exposure, especially early morning sun exposure. Cause we know that the light from the sun, the full spectrum light, not the indoor light is um, what resets our hormones and creates a proper hormone cascade that, it's gonna really serve you for the entire day and set set the uh, health for your entire body for the whole day
0: uh, that includes uh, a glass window of a car or a house is no not good enough correct you have to get straight eyeballs you got me stopping wearing sunglasses you bastard I think about <laughs> you every day and when I get to finally get to squinty point I, I put them on but dude said hey don't don't wear sunglasses because you want to absorb that nice strong light source during the day and counter that with the nice dark sleeping period.
1: Yeah, I should um, follow up with that with a a comment that I recently made on one of the Primal Facebook groups. Somebody was asking the same question and mentioned that they had blue eyes, which you also have. And I I put a, a caveat in there that, you know, if your ancestry gave you blue eyes, then you're Northern European where there was not really bright, direct sun. So if you have blue eyes and you live in a Southern latitude, maybe Florida, Southern California, Arizona, or South Texas, um, don't play
0: speed golf when it's 99 degrees out. Oh, okay. That, that too,
1: too, that too. But, um, don't, uh, you know, the dose makes the poison, right? So, right. so you need, if you live in one of those Southern areas where, uh, and you have blue eyes, you need some, Natural sunlight exposure on your eyes, but don't overdo it and um, get to the point where you're uh, putting yourself at risk for uh, some negative effects mm-hmm. from the sun. Good, yeah. Um, that's so two. No, that's we got. Well, that's three. We got processed sunlight, food, sleep, sleep sunlight, sunlight. Uh, exercise. I would say you know uh, get adequate um, exercise, not too much, not too little. Um, and you'd probably be surprised how little you need to actually, um, stay fit and, um, ready for m- most adult lives.
0: Oh, I mean this, this Carol bike is targeted at, uh, the novice as, as well as a fitness enthusiast, but people scoff at that comment That you can get a great workout in eight minutes, perhaps better than your crazy 40-minute sweat session on a different kind of bike that's become popular in in an exercise class setting. But, you know, the science is there, and the elite athletes have known this for a long time. The great sprinters of the planet, uh, Charlie Francis, one of the greatest sprint coaches ever, he would have his athletes rest for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes between sprints so that that sprint could be of exceptionally high quality with complete recovery time afterward so you wouldn't traumatize the body with a workout that was too strenuous. And then we have regular people putting themselves in a gym environment and getting trashed. That's why you said not too much, not too little. The excessive exercise problem is is brutal today. And there's so many well-meaning people um, we can you know put aside the the dumbass endurance athletes that are going too hard and they know it and they can't they whatever their reason is all right you know go go have yourself a nice life but that that uh, that positive energy person that signs up for a gym class trying to get fit and healthy and gets brutalized by by the system by the conventional uh, approach that's heartbreaking to me
1: yeah and then I would also add that there's a um, that that mindset creates. barrier to entry because people think oh well i can't keep up with the um crossfit guy that's got an eight pack and um can bench press 350 pounds and do six uh handstand push-ups and you know all this stuff so what's the point of me going over there if i can't do all that stuff and the reality is is like if you are if you are that person that's stuck in the matrix and you're not really doing anything and you're, you're barely making your life work with your 90 minute commute each way and, Mm. you know, all this stuff, uh, walking after dinner is probably going to improve your life, you know? And I mentioned to you um, before we got on the podcast about all the stress I have going on with, a divorce and selling our house and moving and starting a new job and all this stuff. And um, I've really cut back my workouts. And one of the things that I um, added with my new job on the 12th floor of this office building is I just take the stairs up in the morning and take the stairs up from lunch. And you know what? It's better than nothing.
0: Oh, and if twelve's too much, get the frick off at eight and go
1: forward then yeah Yeah, no excuses excellent yeah yeah um and you know for me having you know i ran the grand canyon in may and i was (laughs) doing a lot of training up to then and it was really kind of a stretch for me since my divorce kind of started happening before then you know it was a a stressor to maintain the workout i needed in order to cross the grand canyon 50 miles and twenty thousand vertical feet Um, With no food. With no food. Uh, This dude,
0: (laughs) unbelievable. But I mean, there's a whole show on that. So go listen to the show. I I think it might've been titled uh, something about crossing Grand Canyon, but just quickly, you did the double crossing. About fifty miles forty nine miles on my yes yeah, so yeah. south rim down to the bottom up to north rim down to the bottom up to south rim, and then at the finish, you and your group had a stack of pizzas there for everyone to celebrate, but you were doing this experiment, yeah, to do it fasted, so tell me like how that all went down
1: well, um, just to be clear, I did end up needing some gels at mile thirty eight when i start- <laughs> started up the the south rim,
0: shame on you, lad, yeah. Um, so you had a few couple gels,
1: a couple had, hundred calories or something? Yeah, I had four gels. So, so. your
0: first ingestion of calories during the day, Wild besides f- whatever, um, aminos or something that you know, inconsequential.
1: Yeah, I was taking um, electrolytes and beef liver from the liver, from the liver king. <laughs> oh my gosh, ancestral supplements, plug. That's right. Yeah. Um, and just real quick on that, the reason that I did that was that I theorized that uh, like this is what my whole experiment was about during the race and then the other one after the race that you mentioned but during or it wasn't even a race just the event but during the event my hypothesis was that because we're fat adapted um you know maybe what we run out of isn't fuel but it's the micronutrients Mm. right and so my whole plan was just to like double up super dose on micronutrients including sodium potassium and magnesium for the electrolytes and then um beef liver since it's the most nutrient dense food on the planet for everything else and it worked worked really well um and then i you know if if the last 12 miles had been flat i would not have needed um any uh supplementary carbs if the last 12 miles had been fl- flat or my fat adaptation had been better
0: <laughs> poor guys he's flogging himself for having to reach for a gel at 38 mile mark yeah and not just an ordinary 38 miles incredible
1: climbing and yeah yeah and so then at the end um yeah i wanted to test out this theory about um the dude spellings theory this is a breakthrough theory right here well i, I don't really if, do. i don't know if it's mine i mean it, yeah. it's it's i don't know too many people have tried this so uh instead of um you know, going quickly for the carb reload and, and the celebration meal. I wanted to fast to see (laughs) if, um, it would reduce inflammation and improve recovery afterwards. And, uh, I think it did. I, I had done a rim to rim to rim 13 years prior when I was younger. And, um, you know, we don't remember how painful things were. That's why you have more than one baby. But why women have you know to agree to have to go through childbirth again? But as I recall, I think I was less sore the second time around. Thirteen years older, yeah, and thirteen yeah, years older. Incredible. Yeah. Uh,
0: I do think it's a, a revolutionary idea that's possibly going to take hold in the future with the Olympic and the professional athletes because we know it's undisputed that your the, the greatest anti-inflammatory diet known to mankind is fasting. Yeah. And the least oxidative stress comes when you're not eating. Uh, Art Devaney has said it for years. We're, we're most human when we don't eat. Uh, we open up, uh, Jack Cruz called it, uh, we access uh, ancient uh, regenerative pathways or something like that when we're in a fasted state. And that's when we get rid of the damaged, dysfunctional cellular material. We do our cleanup job. And of course, what else do you need to do besides that? after an extreme athletic event like that, is to repair, regenerate, moderate inflammation, but we're slamming pizzas and root root beer floats and hot fudge sundae because we have that free pass to
1: resock glycogen, which we don't need to now because the faster study proved. Right, and the other thing I would throw in there is, is um, when you, so one of the big arguments from guys like Sachin Panda, um, Dr. Sachin Panda, who does a lot of the circadian uh, timing with meals uh, research, where he's, you know, his big thing is that the time that you eat is more important than what you eat because it, um, contributes to setting your circadian clock. And one of the things he says is that when you eat late at night, your body is spending that energy, digesting your food while you're asleep, rather than mm. doing the work of re- rejuvenation rejuvenation repair that's supposed to take place while you're sleeping. So if you finish the Grand Canyon at nine o'clock at night and you want to go to bed, you want your body to be doing that rejuvenation and repair that you so desperately needed after that um, effort, rather than digesting the pizza.
0: Okay. You're forewarned now. Go, go try that at home or don't try it at home. Either one, but get,
1: get highly fat adapted first. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll throw in before I mention my fifth thing that we'll finally get to, uh, I want to throw in one more thing about fat adaptation, um, and stress and whatnot. So like I mentioned briefly, you know, the last nine months of my life has been pretty stressful and I, um, a lot of things have changed. So my routines have changed and, and whatnot. And I haven't, um, adhered to the fasting schedule that I typically do. I, um, still doing daily intermittent fasting over, over minimum 12 hours, um, Usually, probably more like 14 or 16, but I was doing a sort of bi-weekly every two weeks, twenty twenty-four 24 to 48 hour fast. And with all the stress I had going on that kind of went by the wayside, but I recently, um, thought, you know, I haven't done that in a few months. I should, I should reintroduce that. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I'm going to have trouble since I haven't done it in a while. Maybe I'm not as fat adapted as I was, but, I did 36 hours after probably like a three month hiatus and it was still just as easy as it was before. Wow. Yeah. So number five, um, I would say is, uh, mindfulness and, um, and just a a real effort to live consciously. And I would throw in there breathing, which, you know, if you are aware of your breath, you're going to be aware of, um, a lot more than just your breath.
0: Instant change in your body chemistry when you mm-hmm. start commencing deep diaphragmatic breathing.
1: Yeah. Even so for me during the day, what that looks like is remembering to breathe through my nose, right? Cause it's so easy to get in a meeting or get into a frantic state because you got a deadline and st- just subconsciously kind of revert back to like the stressful um, habits that you used to have where you, oh, I need more oxygen. You know, like, none of this is conscious, but, um, I've definitely noticed myself in front of the computer mouth breathing because I've got this deadline in an hour and I, um, got more work than I can do in an hour. So eat that clean food,
0: get some sun exposure, get, sleep was next, yeah. then get some sun exposure Yeah, hand in hand number four get some exercise get off on the early elevator stop yeah. why don't you and number five
1: mindfulness consciousness conscious oh living. yeah
0: forgot <laughs> dude spellings rocking it thank you so much for listening watching on YouTube And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves because they need to. Thanks for doing it.